Listen to us now, live on the ESPN Chicago app. This is Chicago's Home for Sports, ESPN Chicago. Hanging out with you here on ESPN 1000 inside the old National Bank studio. The Blackhawks last lost their fourth straight last night against the Predators at home, three to one, and they have, as I mentioned, lost four in a row. They won one game when they were in limbo. We talked about it last Sunday when they beat the Sharks. When they were when Patrick Kane decided to go away and um, rethink the situation, and of course we all knew he was on his way to the New York Rangers, and it seems like the added benefits to subtracting Patrick Kane, your best player on your roster, has been that a team that was clearly tanking this year has now done everything they possibly can to what's the opposite bri of reinforce the roster. <laughs> decimate it yes there you go well said they've decimated the roster to a point where it seems like they're going to have trouble it's only the columbus blue jackets right now who have less points than the blackhawks so that bodes well for the tanking um patrick kane though discussed the trade yesterday and talked about uh was asked specifically hey are you surprised that it came to this there's a bunch of different like steps along the way that probably led to it but uh I think they're in a different situation now, right? They're they're rebuilding. They're trying to collect assets, and uh, um, that's just the way it is. That's the situation we're in. So, um, you know, it's never really real until it happens, and then, um, you know, once it happens, it starts getting very real. But like I said, just uh, excited for the experience, the opportunity, the chance to play with, you know, different organization, different players, and, uh, um, yeah, just excited about it all. So I know it's uh, I don't know what Hawks fans are doing. You would think they might want the Rangers to at least go to the Eastern Conference Finals, so the Bear, uh, the Hawks could net a you know a, an additional first uh, first rounder yep. for Patrick Kane. Conditional pick they exactly have to get to the Conference Finals to for that to move up from second to first. But I know a lot of Hawks fans hate the Rangers too, so they don't really want to uh, for whatever reason go down that route. But uh, it looks like that's going to be a hard proposition if you watched any of yesterday's game because the Bruins are just a machine, so they may stand in the way of the New York Rangers anyway, ultimately. It's a perfect opportunity to bring in Ben Pope of the Chicago Sun-Times. He covers the Hawks for the Sun-Times, and he joins us here on ESPN 1000. Ben, I have to imagine uh, you can finally take a deep breath now that the uh, NHL trade deadline has finally passed for the Hawks. Yeah, for sure. It's been um, an exhausting few weeks. I'm actually... I think a little bit sick today. I think it finally caught up with me, but uh, at least it waited till after we got through Friday. So uh, appreciative of that. You know, as shocking, Ben, is the finality of Patrick Kane being moved uh, is for Hawks fans and, and Hawks Nation and the franchise itself. You know, a couple of years ago, if you would told anybody that, and with Jonathan Taves maybe staring retirement in the in the face because of his health issues, if you would have told any of us that the net, uh, return for both those players would be what it's what it seemingly is we'd all be shocked we thought the biggest question was one would either or both waive their no trade clause and Patrick finally did it and Jonathan Taves has got other issues but we thought that would accelerate whatever rebuild the team would be in and here you sit with not too much to show for it 
Yeah, that is the funny part that when when Kyle Davidson came in and announced this rebuild, you would assume that the Kane and Taves would have been the two biggest assets to sell off to really accelerate things. But that is definitely not ended up being the case. Um, I'm not sure it's really his fault. It's just the situation didn't really transpire um, in a way that, that worked out for the, the that aim. Um, Kane pretty much said it was the Rangers or nothing. Um, and so with the Hawks sort of obligated to fulfill his wishes, but also um, not really having any alternatives, they were kind of at the whims of the Rangers and what they wanted to offer. So you could arguably even say that it's surprising they got as much as they did, a second and a fourth with the potential for the second to become a first. And then obviously Taves, there's nothing they could do either um, with him not not currently playing, doesn't really have any trade value. So um, definitely surprising to see how it panned out, even though it's just kind of unfortunate circumstances. But um, at least they have been able to get some other first-round picks and high assets for, for other players that maybe you wouldn't necessarily have thought of right off of the bat. Ben Pope of the Chicago Sun-Times joining us here talking Hawks. Miller and Hanley on ESPN 1000. Ben, do you feel like, from what you've been able to glean, do you think Kyle Davidson did his best to force Patrick Kane's hand because that no-movement clause made it into a situation where the Hawks were at Kane's will? Do you think he made it uncomfortable for Patrick Kane to want to come back? Yeah, that's always really the big question here. I don't think he did anything specifically or directly to force him out, but you can obviously make the argument that a couple of things he did do might have influenced that or tried to sort of lead him in that direction, and that being that they've pretty much gutted the roster around him. They got rid of DeBrinket and Strom last summer, who were his line mates all of last season, and his, his closest friends still left in the team other than Taves, um, and obviously a bunch of other key players as well to make this, this season as bad as possible. And then also it sounds like they probably weren't interested in re-signing him this summer, um, which would probably be another reason why Kane might want to just go ahead and get a head start somewhere else. Um, so I don't think um, he did anything specifically to force him out. I think that would that'd be an exaggeration, but there obviously were factors that, that probably influenced Kane to, to end up leaving. I don't think that it was just that he wanted out of town desperately. Ben, when you hear from uh, Fox fans on social media and, and just around the uh, United Center, how is this being received and, and, you know, Kyle Davidson, like Ryan Poles, has been very transparent and seemingly very honest when he talks to, to the media. Um, he wouldn't put a timeline on this rebuild. And we all know now what this team, now you tweeted out, basically this could be the worst Hawks team in the history. Hawks teams, I'm paraphrasing, when you, you know, listed uh, the starters on this team now. Um, you know, what does the future look like? I mean, is this three years of hold your nose? Is it four or five? Do you have any idea where this goes and how quickly it gets there? Well, when Davidson was named the permanent GM last March, so a year ago, he, he roughly said three to five years would be a good estimate. So we're a year in, so that puts it at two to four. Um, and I think that still makes sense. It obviously depends on how well the players that they draft develop and, and how quickly they do and, and also a bit of the draft lottery luck if they get the number one overall pick this year and get Connor Bedard that probably accelerates things quite a bit um, so it's I think it's understandable why he doesn't really have a specific timeline considering how many unknowns there are but it, it certainly would be shocking to see them contending next year um, I think that they might not be outright tanking again to this degree but it's definitely going to be another transition year of a lot of placeholders filling up the roster and maybe just a few prospects starting to trickle into full-time NHL status 
um, not really the next generation by any means. And then the year after that, depending on how things go, it might become kind of a younger group and we'll start to see what the core of the future is going to be. But it could take some, them some time to develop chemistry and experience and learn how to win in the league. So um, I think the, the two to four years, three to four years timeline kind of makes the most sense here if it all goes well. Ben Pope covers the Hawks for the Chicago Sun-Times. Jeff Miller, Brian Hanley with you until 11 o'clock today. Ben, uh, how do you think, how would you assess how Kyle Davidson did in regards to all the trades he made? If you had to give him maybe a grade, he obviously moves Max Domi, um, Sam Lafferty, Jake McCabe, in addition to Kane, um, primarily for draft picks. What's your assessment of how he did at this trade deadline? I'd probably give him a B, to be fair. Um, I think the Kane situation is kind of on its own. He actually kind of described it as that. That is a totally separate deal from everything else. But his other eight trades, although some of which were just kind of minor swaps, um, I think we're pretty much right on expectations. He he got a first-round pick for Jake McCabe with salary retained. He got a second-round pick for Sam Lafferty. He got a second-round pick for Max Domi. Um, I think those are pretty much what we expected a month ago that would be roughly the, the fair market value for those guys. So he hit them on the nose, not above, not below. So um, I think a, a B grade is fair here. The only, the only maybe surprises were that Andreas Athanasiu, who was also signed last summer to a one-year deal, wasn't moved. And then um, maybe that uh, someone like Jack Johnson um, netted an actual NHL player in return or that they were able to bring in two draft picks for taking on Zaitsev's contract. That, that Zaitsev trade with Ottawa might have been the best of the group. Um, so I think, yeah, it was, it was fairly successful, not mind-blowing, but um, you could be fairly satisfied with how they did. You know, Jeff just mentioned that uh, they've lost four in a row, but they had won five in a row, and, and some people are really, you know, stop that. You're not supposed to be winning. But <laughs> Luke Richardson, uh, from uh, the outside looking in, seemingly is a competent, capable man behind the bench. You've been around him a little bit now. What's your uh, take on the uh, relatively, uh, well, the first year of the Blackhawks head coach? Yeah, I think it's been probably the brightest part of the season is the impression that Richardson has made. Um, he's he's really knocked out of the park in every regard, um, going from his systems and the the strategies he's put in to kind of get the most out of a very um, undermanned team, uh, to the communication he's put in place. The locker room culture has seemed pretty healthy this year, in spite of all the uh, demoralization um, and just everything else. He has a good coaching staff around him. Uh, he seems to to handle things pretty calmly and not lose his head over anything. He's he's been very impressive this season and. Uh, that's that's probably got to be the the most exciting, optimism-inducing part of of all of this is that it does seem like the Blackhawks have found a, a very strong coach that can lead this rebuild long term. Obviously, as expectations rise, it, it might not be quite so easy to um, exceed the expectations. That's just kind of how it works for both Richardson and Davidson. But um, so far, it's it's been really encouraging signs. Ben Pope joining us here on ESPN 1000. Ben, I was uh, asked on Friday night how many years Seth Jones has remaining on his contract, and I, and I said 20. Um, but yeah. obviously, I think it's seven, if I'm not mistaken. Uh, right now, we look at this Blackhawks roster, and I, and I have to be honest. I, I, I always, I don't, they're just for a 
Chicago sports fan, they are no longer must-see. It is clearly, if they're on, I will put them on on a cursory TV. And, and kind you're of, a Hawks fan. I am. No, I mean, you're right, Brian. And I'm probably in the minority of Chicago sports yeah. fans. But for me, they've become, okay, I'll put them on if there's nothing else that's intriguing to me. And I have three TVs in my basement. So that's, that's how I work the that's Hawks these days. Something. Who has currently been on the roster? And I guess we'll go ahead and, and, and say Lucas Reichel's on the roster. Who on the roster right now is a top six forward or, or a top four defenseman for this you know, for the next time the Blackhawks are a contender? Yeah, that's a question that's been talked about a lot lately, I feel like. And you are right, there are not many. Um, I think Reichel is almost a sure thing. He's looked really good his past few call-ups. He's um, only 20, 20 years old, 21 years old, so... Um, he has a very bright future. I think you can definitely pencil if that pin him in. Um, I think Seth Jones, he hasn't been bad this year. He's, he's maybe not a number one defenseman, um, but he's definitely the best defenseman on this team. And um, it, it wouldn't be surprising to see him still playing at a, a top pairing or top two pairing mm-hmm. level in a couple of years when they're trying to contend again. It does seem like he's probably the most likely to be here just because it would be so difficult to move him. Um, and they do kind of need this contract to even get to the salary floor next year. So um, just makes sense for all sides for him to stay. And then beyond that, there's not really any sure things. Um, I think you look at Philip Kurashev and Taylor Radish. Both those guys have been decently productive this year. Both of them are um, 23, 24, so on the younger side. Um, so I think there's a decent chance that one or two of them manage to stick around for the next two or three years, but they're not going to be integral pieces of that team if they do they'll probably be maybe like third line um sort of secondary contributors but but they would probably be the other two i mean there's a bunch of guys in in rockford particularly on defense that um, have promise and, and could end up forming part of the next defensive core but they haven't really aside from a few occasional call-ups really promoted to the nhl yet so not a lot of guys really worth paying attention to on this roster as far as guys who could stick around until they're relevant again well ben we'll let you go but last night i looked you know that it was minus 250 on nashville uh on the money line over the the hawks and if you didn't want to you know stomach that i bet the under is defense and we, you just spoke about luke richardson you know culture want to you you can get that effort on defense uh, whether they're you know but i don't know where the scoring is going to come from here on out and and you know who cares because you're on counter bedard but it's going to be uh, the last 20 games. Uh, they might be hard pressed to get 20 goals. Yeah, the scoring is going to be is going to be tough. Seth Jones is their leading scorer now with 28 points on the season, which Oof. is just comical. Um, Domi had 49 before they traded him to so get a sense of um, how much production they lost. So, yeah, I, I don't think we're going to see or hear Chelsea Dagger too much the rest of the way. But um, <laughs> it's kind of the idea. So. Uh, I guess it's not to be not to be surprised. Ben, one last thing as we let you go, because I do want to ask you about this, because this is where I'm at as a Hawks fan. During this entire segment, I've been on tankathon.com, the NHL version, and I've been simulating a lottery for the Blackhawks, and I've yet to win. I've probably hit it 20 times now. Um, you know, they have, again, the second worst record in the league currently, but that would only give them a 13.5% chance at the number one overall pick. If they could jump Columbus, that would increase their odds to 25.5%. What happens, though? I mean, because really it's been all about 
potentially Connor Bedard's. His name's been said in, in conjunction with the Hawks probably more than anybody except Patrick Kane this season when we talk <laughs> yeah. about the Blackhawks. What happens if, unfortunately, the stone-cold numbers play out and the Hawks don't end up with either the top pick or, you know, a lot of people do like uh, Fantilli, but if they don't end up with a top two pick, what what then happens with the Hawks? Yeah, that would definitely be um, an unfortunate scenario, and I think statistically is the most likely. Um, even if they finished in last, I think it's just about 50% that they would fall to third. But um, I think the fact that they couldn't fall further than third in that situation is still a pretty appealing part of finishing last because Leo Carlson, mm-hmm. uh, he's a Swedish prospect, has really um, rocketed up the draft boards this year and um, has established himself as kind of the third elite prospect in this, this draft class. He's not maybe on the level of Bedard or Fantilli, but he, he probably could have been the number one pick last year, just considering how strong this year is compared to others. So I think he would be a pretty solid consolation prize. There's also the Matt Bay, Matt, the Matt Bay Mitchkov question, um, who talent-wise is probably on par with Fantilli and Carlson, but just the issue of that he's under contract in Russia for several more years. And there's just some unknowns with that, but um, they'll still have some some encouraging options if they fall to third. But obviously, that would probably um, set things back a little bit. Not having an instant superstar that you probably would if you got the Darter Fantilli. Good stuff, Ben. Thanks for hopping on. We appreciate it, man. Yep, thanks for having me. That is Ben Pope of the Chicago Sun Times joining us on the Car X Tire and Auto Hotline. Boy, oh boy, Brian, I'm just you know, yeah, you mentioned it. it. It's like. It was like me during the uh, the real down years for the uh, Cubs. I couldn't sit through three innings, let alone three hours of baseball. And you, like you said, you, you have nothing else is on. You have three TVs. You might turn them on. The Bulls are getting to that point. And, you know, it's like two years ago with the White Sox. Three years ago, we were all watching what was going on in the minor leagues. So we were more interested in watching those games, Birmingham games, than the actual White Sox games. No, it's it, baseball can't get here quick enough because – the uh, winter tenants at the UC have really made it uh, not as much fun. Like as as casuals, you know, I, I don't know if like if you're a casual sports fan, if if you're just somebody who watches, you know, the teams in the city. I personally am. I'm looking for other NBA games. I'm looking for other yep. NHL games because the Bulls and the Hawks are just tough to watch these days. And like it's like we just you know mm-hmm. went over with Ben there. There's not even a whole lot on the on the Hawks roster that you no. can look at, and you have to squint your eyes and say, okay, maybe. But it's a uh, it's not great right now for the. Uh, hey, at least with the Bulls, you can watch Patrick Beverly yell at Vooch yeah. and you know yeah. get him upset. I guess. I guess. How often does Kevin Durant come into the uh, <laughs> as the visitor? I need more of that to make yeah. me interested. Three one two three three two three seven seven six. Are you watching? What are you watching these days? Are you still compelled to watch the Hawks and the Bulls? Um, I, you mentioned baseball there. I let's. Uh, Let's dive into the pitch clock. We've now had a full week to kind of digest it. And uh, in addition to that, the Cubs were dealt a injury blow that I think you and I kind of saw coming. We'll talk about that next here on ESPN 1000. This is Chicago's Home for Sports. ESPN Chicago. Listen now in HD on our app and on ESPN 1000.
One of the worst parts about the job when you have to share the news of a beloved colleague passing, longtime member of this radio station, Dave Wills. He was. Oh, uh, Jesus. I'm sorry. I didn't mean to, Brian. I didn't want to blindside you there, but I, I literally just saw it. And mm. Dave Wills, Willsey, as he was affectionately known, did uh, pre and post game here on ESP in Chicago. For I think it was 11 years, I worked with Dave Wills for, uh, I'm trying to think now, probably three or four years when I first started in this business uh, as his producer. Um, he did White Sox pre and post here on ESPN 1000 up until uh, I believe it was 2004 when he then left to go become the play-by-play man for the Tampa Bay Rays where he has spent the last 18 seasons. He died early this morning, according to the team. Dave Wills, uh, you know, local guy, grew up in Chicago. Just like, a great guy. Dude, I, I mean, I loved Wilsey. He was, uh, again, my introduction to this business in a lot of ways. Just, I mean, a, a pro's pro behind the mic, but mm-hmm. just one of the most affable, just genuine humans in our business. And and good Lord, we've we've lost a lot of them in the last few years. But, I mean, I saw, you know, he tweeted out uh, a few weeks ago, thanking the Tampa medical staff for, for helping him. And, and it seemed like he was on, on the mend from a very serious situation. But, I mean, good Lord. I mean, a couple of weeks ago, we signed off, and, and I'm getting a text that Lynn Bramer passed. And, mm-hmm. I mean, people like that, you know, Lynn used to always say, take nothing for granted, it's great to be alive. And just when you when you lose talent it's one thing when you lose just wonderful human beings it, it takes it to a whole different what a gut punch yeah uh yeah like i said I, I i worked with wills you know for probably three or four years when i was first starting out as a producer here at espn 1000 and um he was just you know any white Sox fan will tell you he was he 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 was the passionate south sider who um you know his voice behind the mic when White Sox were winning or losing games. You just it was so authentic, and yep. um, he left for his dream dream gig to be the play by play man of the Tampa Bay Rays. And you know he was obviously very successful there for the past eighteen years. I know he had made a home there in Tampa and was beloved by Rays fans. Um, and just uh, yeah, just 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 a heck of a, a bummer, man. Um, again, Dave Wills passes away uh, today. 58, um, tough loss here in the city of Chicago. Again, one of Chicago's own did uh, pre and post for the White Sox for 11 years here at ESPN 1000. So um, just, uh, just you know, and we're, we're celebrating our 25th anniversary. Dave Wills, I, I definitely know, helped really familiarize people with this radio station way back in the day. So, hey, And you said, you know, you can't fake that passion. Uh, there's a reason that People who grew up in this town aspire to stay in this town and talk sports and, and be you know broadcast, print, whatever, because it's part of your DNA. And you're a fan first and foremost, but you're a professional. And and Dave is, just, I mean, just so genuine and mm-hmm. so approachable and so affable and, and so good. And at 58 years old, too damn young. I can't remember how many nights I would spend back here, um, you know, Right as soon as the the game would hit, uh, Dave would wrap up the pregame, yep. and then we'd uh, go grab some sandwiches from Potbelly or something, and then uh, nestle in with him and Melty, Bill Melton, to do uh, oh. you know get settled in for postgame coverage of White Sox games. So uh, just just devastating news. Dave Wills again lost far too young at the age of fifty eight this morning. Let's try Owen and Willowbrook. Hey Owen, you're on ESPN one thousand with Meller and Hanley. 
Hey, guys, I'm really sorry about the loss of your good friend because I can remember Dave Wells was one of the first guys I used to call him to after the postgame shows, and he just did a great job. He was really, truly a great White Sox fan. In fact, I got to say, you know, when he lost uh, the Sox, I think he went on to become an announcer for Tampa Bay, Correct. didn't he? Correct, yep, the play-by-play yes. man. Yep. Yeah. 18 years. Yeah. yeah. I mean, and, uh, I mean they, Owen, Owen, I don't mean to interrupt you, but the one thing, that's why he left. Like, I can't imagine Wilsey would have left, you know, he was a diehard White Sox fan, grew up on the South Side, loved them, and that passion always came through on the radio, but he got his dream gig to be a play-by-play man for the Rays, so, he, you know, he kind of had to take it. Yeah, that's what, that's what I was going to say. I think that would have been the only reason he would have gone, because obviously he was going to become an announcer for, for a major league team, and how do you pass that up? But, I mean, he was truly, he really knew the game. Oh, yeah. He knew the game, and he, he, um, he was really passionate about the sack. But am I wrong? Is I thought he was. Did he leave before the World Series year? So that was at Dolan. That's the year he left. So he was here until 2004, and then Brian okay. Brian Dalgan took over the pre and post game duties in 2005 when the White Sox did win it. Of course, um, you mentioned like you know John Rooney and Ed Farmer were entrenched in the booth, you know, for all the White Sox calls, and especially when they won the World Series there. So that's uh, you know. Dave saw an opportunity and he couldn't pass it up. So uh, just There's only a handful yeah, of those jobs, and and you, you have to you know you have to take one of them if they become available. So he he was he was passionate about the game, but but one thing I really liked about it was, you know, I mean, he if things didn't go right, he he'd say that. You know, I mean, it wasn't just uh, he wasn't a homer, and I mean he he loved the Sox, but he knew the game, he understood the game, and uh, it's a great loss. I'm sorry to hear that. Yeah, thank you, Owen. Appreciate the call. Thanks for sharing your memories. Yeah, and um, you and I, I don't know if Don mentioned it, but it said on the screen too. Wilsey, great pipes, Spry. I oh. mean, unmistakable. He clearly was born to be yep. a play-by-play man, and so oh, we'll talk about a baritone. I mean, just talk mm-hmm. about just this deep, and and I mean, it just it's it's just another gut punch, and and there've been too many of them uh, for too many young, you know, young still in the prime of their life guys that we've you know known forever and and then guys like joe goddard we always call him young joe goddard because he didn't seem to age and he passed a, a few weeks ago the former base, uh, baseball scribe for the sun times who i worked side by side with forever um but you know it's just it, it, it's it, it, it this one just catches yeah. off guard i know that he was he was battling and he was he was hopefully turning the corner and getting his health back and and you know it just it's it, it's just gut wrenching, and it, I think anybody who knew Willsey, and I know uh, you know White Sox fans who went to games in you know in the uh, early mid nineties into the early two thousands, like when he would do pre and post from from the park, you know, he was like a man of the people, you know. So I think anybody who who's a, a longtime White Sox fan just remembered Dave Wills. He was. Given you, so approachable. Yes, I mean, he would have a beer with you whenever the opportunity oh, arose. And I, mean, I covered the White Sox for a couple of seasons, and just to sit up in the Bard's room with you know so many. I mean, the the, the fun of that job. I mean, sitting there and getting paid to watch baseball, whatever mm-hmm. sport I was covering at the time. But to the 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 great thing about our our profession, you're not going to the same place, sitting in the same cubicle, doing the same thing every day. You mm-hmm. never know what that day is going to bring, who you might meet that you've never met before, who you might share a meal with, uh, share laughs with, um, and certainly uh, the opportunity to do that with Dave many, many times. Um, I mean, it seems like it was yesterday, and it wasn't. But Yep, so 
we will uh, try and sojourn on here. Uh, we're here till 11. I'm Jeff Meller. He's Brian Hanley. Again, uh, t- tough news. Dave Wills, longtime broadcaster, play-by-play man for the Tampa Bay Rays, and longtime pre- and post-game host here on ESPN 1000 for the Chicago White Sox, passes away today, this morning, at the age of 58. We'll be right back. Follow Chicago's Home for Sports on Twitter at ESPN1000. This is Chicago's Home for Sports, ESPN Chicago. Jeff Mellon, Brian Hanley hanging out with you here on this Sunday morning. Bright, sunshiny morning. Soak up that vitamin D. Brian. You would take this for opening day, wouldn't you? Um, yeah, I would think so. Definitely. I mean, we, we've sat through some snow showers on opening day here in Chicago, so, I mean, it might not be as warm as you'd like, but the sun's out. That, that's a good start. Yeah, no, definitely. And, uh, yeah, I'm trying I'm trying to look here officially. I don't have my – I know it's like the – is it the 30th, the 29th, the 30th is opening day? I'm trying to remember now. Um, yeah, I believe it's, right, the 30th, yep. I believe. Sounds about right. Yeah, yeah. Uh, Thursday, March 30th is opening day for baseball this season so uh yeah uh, we'll see how the weather is hopefully we yeah i think you're right we would take this maybe maybe 10 degrees warmer would be ideal if we could pick it right but uh this would certainly suffice i would say um any reaction bry to the fact now that we've had a kind of a week to take it in a little bit any more reaction to the pitch clock after having an opportunity to kind of soak it in and See if you've uh, figured anything out. You think the teams will adapt quickly here? Yeah, I mean, yesterday the White Sox, what it was, uh, two hours and forty some minutes, and they, <laughs> I know a couple of the stories where like, well, it seemed like a long game because they've been averaging about two and a half hours. The White Sox have actually been ahead of the average by seven or eight minutes. So it's, um, hey, everyone's falling in love with it, and and it. What it seems like the players are adapting as quickly as you might have hoped, or even quicker than you might have anticipated, and even the veterans, you know, seem like all players were the majority of players were against uh, this this radical idea, and within a week, a little over a week of uh, spring training games, they're like, yeah, this works, like the pace of the game, and some some of the pitchers who like to work quickly anyway are like, yeah, good. You know, it doesn't change my world, but it changes the baseball world, and so far, so good. Yeah, I'm not even worried so much about the time of game, although it certainly helps. But it's for me, it's just, hey. The pace. Yes. I like the problem with baseball. And, and it's one of those things where it had, I think it, it, had, it was broken and it had declined, but it had done so slowly, gradually, right? And so I don't think people even recognized how, how bad it had gotten in some ways. Like, it was just, okay, if you're a baseball fan, this is what you're accustomed to. And maybe for some people, too, the distraction of having, you know, uh, social media open while you're watching a baseball game, like, coinciding with the fact that baseball games were taking longer and the pace of play was slowing down. Maybe people didn't notice it as much. But I love the fact that now I can keep my eyes on the game and, you know, all of a sudden, I don't have to find a distraction to kind of occupy my mind. I can, okay... There's some, we're moving here. You know, you got 15 seconds and batter, get your eyes on the pitcher within eight. And all of a sudden we can watch, you know, some baseball. I think the one of the, one of my takeaways is I think it's actually going to be more of an issue for hitters as they, because I think pitchers will adjust. Maybe, maybe the big hard throwing relievers who rely on reloading and kind of, you know, uh, you know, 
reloading and figuring it, you know, so that they can give full effort. It might be problematic for them. But I think for hitters, if you saw, I, I don't know, there was a, a video going around of Max Scherzer really messing around with the pitch clock. Uh, one of the hitters for the Nationals, I uh, believe Adams, called timeout. And you only get one per plate appearance now, right? So yep. he called his timeout because Scherzer was kind of throwing him off being ready on the mound. And so he called his timeout. Scherzer then did not step off the rubber. Then when Adams kind of reacclimated himself, got into the box, as soon as he had his eyes up and ready to go on Scherzer, Scherzer's firing and got him on a strikeout. And I think good pitchers are going to be able to use this to their advantage against hitters who are going to, that's for them, going to be a huge adjustment where you have to be ready to go when you get into the box. Yeah, and you have 30 seconds between batters, too. So it's not, look, I don't, I don't know how many times you sit there and watch a guy adjust his batting gloves like, you know, he's going into surgery and he needed, you know, mm-hmm. the, the, you know, I, I just, you don't need any of that. And he's got one hand up to the umpire's face. I got time and I've got to do this. You just you get rid of all that stuff, and and maybe you know your walk up music has to be a lot quicker or whatever. It's so far the the pace is great, and um, I think Tanner Banks uh, asked Daryl Van Shaw, one of the Sun Times, who covers the White Sox, mm-hmm. "Hey, what do you think this is going to do to concession sales? You know, will the owners be upset because <laughs> it's two and a half hours instead of three and a half hours, and they're not selling many fourteen as many fourteen dollar beers? I, you know, I don't know about the uh, like the beer cup snakes." Out in, yep, in the yep. bleachers. I mean, how quickly do you have to build those now? Do you got to start drinking in, in the first three innings to get that going? I don't it, know. Listen, but. it's a fascinating question because there's no doubt. It's undeniable. They will lose some revenue that they previously got. Of course, um, you know, bear sales cut off in the seventh inning. Sure. So, but, you know, obviously you'll be getting to the, that seventh inning quicker than you usually will. So um, there will be some revenue lost. I think the hope is, though, that. The they're expanding. Int- they're expanding the fan base. For yeah, one. the interest in the game might create more revenue streams, you know, and bigger, more lucrative television contracts down the road. Um, and they'll never. I'll be curious to see when the season wraps up if we will get some reports. If somebody will leak some information about how much money your average team lost, right? Like, because that's those are numbers that they never open the books and they don't want to, right? Like. But, you know, you might, like you said, you might have more eyes actually on on the product. You might have better ratings because you're not sitting there slogging through three hours plus of, of no action. Now, it's not going to necessarily increase the, the action of the game, you know, in terms of getting guys on. They're hoping bigger bases will increase uh, stolen bases and, and movement that way. And, you know, obviously uh, abandoning or, or, dis- or outlawing the shift. They hope creates more balls in play and, and more opportunities for offense. But the biggest thing so far of, of the changes, obviously, has been the, the pitch clock. And I haven't heard anyone really complain about it. And, and, you know, I'm old school. I thought I wasn't going to be thrilled with it. But, you know, it worked very well in the minor leagues. And it seemingly is working very well in the first 10 days or so here. Yeah. Now, one guy who won't have an opportunity to adjust and acclimate to the new pitch clock, at least not Ooh. through spring training, it looks like is uh, Seiya Suzuki who is dealing with the oblique injury. And you and I joked when we saw the picture a couple of weeks ago of him showing up to spring training, having added, quote, whatever it was, 25-plus pounds of you know muscle. Yeah, but, muscle. Yeah, we looked at it and we were like, yeah, that doesn't look like somebody who has put on 
the ideal weight. And sure enough, you know, before you even get going, Seiya Suzuki is scratched, and now he's dealing with an oblique injury, which, by the way, Bri, I know you've watched and covered baseball for a long, long time. Oblique injury, well, one of the worst in baseball. Yeah, everything you do. I mean, it, it, if it, you know, you're going to feel it, and I don't know if you could even feel his oblique, <laughs> given the extra, extra weight he put on. Mm-hmm. But, I mean, the idea that you've got uh, training camp invitees now going to you know, battle for his position out in the outfield, doesn't exactly spell contending team to me, but obviously at the minimum he's going to miss the start of the season. It's just a matter of how much of the season he's going to miss you know, going forward because he was early on in camp uh, putting on some home run hitting shows and mm-hmm. uh, just, you know, in batting practice. But uh, as long as he can still recruit Otani when he's when he needs <laughs> to be talked to, uh, I'm good. As long as he, he can still do that and make the – sales pitch to come to Wrigley, I'll be good with that. Listen, I think uh, you can recruit him if you can get Tom Ricketts to agree to pay a $600 million contract. I mean, there's no question. It it, it seems like everything I'm reading, all the reports, he's going to get Five hundred million. Oh yeah. The question is: Is some How team going? More? Yeah. Is, is a team like the Dodgers going to want him so badly that they'll be willing to push it to six hundred million? And again, we we went over it a little bit a few weeks ago, but he comes with you know, you're underwriting it just because the sponsor sponsorship dollars attached to him in the Japanese and Asian market. You know, they're going to he's going to bring with him at least ten million dollars yearly in revenue and we're talking about lost revenue because of all those sponsorship and partnerships you can create if you're the team that has Shohei Otani so whatever you end up paying just subtract at least 10 from the start because that is going to come in from all the marketing opportunities you'll have with him but it'll be fascinating to see how much money he's actually able to secure on the open market when he gets there next season hey if Otani actually was puts on a Cubs uniform is here imagine marquee sports network doesn't have to try to insult you with all positivity in the post game oh. because there'll be actually you know good things to talk about and feel good you won't have to listen to contrived well, you remember that uh, hit in the third inning, even though they lost ten to two. That was that was pretty good. <laughs> remember right? that run, the, Remember yeah. when the run the the Cubs jumped out to a one nothing lead? Yeah, yeah, that was awesome. Yeah, that's awesome, Chris Farley. Yeah, uh, no, um, but yeah, that they better be in that conversation. No matter it's five hundred, six hundred. You know, make sure the sports book is is spitting out tickets, um, and and they're getting their take of that. Yeah. Um, meanwhile, on the south side of town, everyone I'm talking to, I was uh, chit chatting with. Jesse Rogers, he was uh, in. He was actually uh, in and uh, upstairs in the uh, ESP One Thousand offices the other day on Friday. He had to pick up some equipment for ABC Seven. He's going to be doing some work for them as he usually does. And uh, we were just talking a little bit, and he was saying, "Man, everybody I'm talking to around baseball is not very excited about what the White Sox have put together. Lots of people, very, very, uh, they're 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 very down." And what the White Sox uh, are bringing to the table so far? Well, I saw um, was it uh, MLB.com gave grades out, off-season grades to all the teams, mm-hmm. and I believe they did not get a passing grade. Um, there are no Bs or B pluses or A minuses for what uh, transpired in the off-season, uh, Mike Clevenger notwithstanding. Uh, yeah, that, that it's all about Pedro Grafal, and it's all about bounce back years and. You know, Yohan Mankata being what we think he could be and what he has been years ago. And um, it was interesting to hear what uh, what Jose Abreu 
uh, told Steve Greenberg of the Sun-Times. I mean, he was not, he said we weren't a family last year, and he seemed to, to talk about uh, not even being, you know, look, I, I had no problem with the with the White Sox moving on from Jose Abreu at his, at his age, mm-hmm. but he felt disrespected, and he sounded like he was anxious to, to get out of Dodge because of all the things that weren't going right on and off the field, sound like you know when you land oh, yeah. with the, a World Series contending team. Uh, what they've been in three of the last four years, uh, the Astros. And what isn't it like six straight ALCSs for yeah. the for the? Yeah, I mean that's a good way to end your career. Yeah. So uh, they uh, believe me, Dusty Baker's happy to have him, and he's happy to have uh, to found a, a landing spot that gives him a legitimate opportunity to to finish up in the correct way. I listen. I had no problem with the White Sox parting ways because, as you as you said, his age it just didn't yeah. seem you know prudent to spend big money on him. The problem I have is that you know you need Andrew Vaughn now to live up to the hype of him being the third overall pick in his draft class, and then when you go and you know Andrew Benintendi, who's been hitting third a lot in spring training, and Pedro Grafal did say he kind of likes him there, which I don't know. He seems much more like a number two hitter to me. I'd much rather have his on-base percentage ability in that two spot, but as opposed to number three, but we'll see how that plays out. I don't love, though, hearing that he could be your three-hitter for a significant amount of games this season. I have to be honest there because replacing Jose Abreu, um, it's going to be difficult enough. I'm not sure Benintendi's the guy who's going to be your run producer in that lineup. Yeah, and, and it, it look. I'm, I'm with you. I was moving on from Jose Abreu just because of where the Sox are and, and you know, currently what their prospects appear to be. It's going to take a lot to go right for them to, to win that division. But it, I don't know how that resonates around the league if he felt, you know, if he tells people he didn't feel respected in terms of free agency. And how, maybe we can talk about that after the break because uh, the Bears have got, uh, mm-hmm. like every team in the NFL, got a report card from their own players and ultimately, it comes down to how much you're going to pay me and for how long. Mm-hmm. But there are things that, you know, players talk to each other about, hey, you know, is this a good place to play? If, if not, why not? And, you know, guys, guys share some stuff, you know, before games, after games, uh, you know, whatever, meeting up for a beer. And sometimes it, there's a reason the Bulls are not attractive to free agents and haven't been for a long time. And it goes it, ultimately it's winning and money. But there are other things that come into play. Sounds good. You mentioned it, the Bears report card. And I have a question for you, Bri. What do Lululemon, Meghan Markle, and Will Smith have in common? Oh, boy. I'll tell you next. Listen to us now, live on the ESPN Chicago app. This is Chicago's home for sports. ESPN Chicago. We went to break. I asked Brian Hanley, and I'm Jeff Miller, by the way, here on ESPN 1000. We're here till 11. I asked Brian, what do Lululemon, Meghan Markle, and Will Smith have in common? Brian, do you have any idea what I'm talking about? Well, I, I, I am aware of everything. I don't own any Lululemon uh, apparel. Okay. Um, I'm aware of the former royal, and uh, of course, yeah, I, 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 I know. I can't make the connection, but I'm aware of the three uh, subjects involved. Well, the, you did very well there laying it out. Uh, they were all the ire of Chris Rock in his stand-up special yesterday, Selective Outrage, which debuted on Netflix, and it went live 
last night, which is the first time Netflix has done a live broadcast of anything. So it's now available on Netflix. It occurred. But Chris Rock finally, just shy of a year, finally responded to the Will Smith sla- uh, slap from the Oscars last year. He finally had his day, and um, it was absolutely figuratively and literally a mic drop as he concluded the show dropping the mic and he spent the first hour or so um you know pontificating on lululemon amongst plenty of other things uh also megan markle and finally did a 10 minutes on will smith where it will be interesting to see how will smith and jada pinkett smith respond if they respond at all because you know, it was simmering for just shy of a year, and um, yeah. Chris Rock did not hold back. I will tell you that. Well, I, I remember watching that in real time, and mm-hmm. people on Twitter are like, "What was that?" I, I tweet out, "I believe assault." Yes, um, it, because people thought it was staged, and everyone was in on it. And I was like, "Nah, that that that, that was definitely not something that was planned." And I'll I'll tell you, he did not hold back. And as I mentioned, it was Netflix's first live showing of anything. What was interesting to me, they had a pregame show for Chris Rock's comedy special. Oh, boy. They had a postgame show. And let me give you, before we get to the Bears report card to close this out, the postgame show for the Chris Rock Netflix special, Selective Outrage, was hosted by David Spade and Dana Carvey with panelists... Arsenio Hall, J.B. Smoove, and Kareem Abdul-Jabbar. How much money did they put in this? I mean, listen, it's Netflix. It's, it seems like uh, they will never, they will spare no expense when it comes no. to their contents, although that has changed over the last year or so. But it was odd to hear. I mean, it wasn't bad, but to have David Spade and Dana Carvey and Arsenio Hall, um, J.B. Smoove breaking down the stand-up that they had just watched like it was a Bulls or Hawks game. That was really, really weird. And it it was, I don't know if I would normally do it, but it was an interesting experience. I will say that. I thought, I thought the Bill Cower take was the most relevant. (laughs) Yes. Um, Yeah. Uh, So it was interesting. It's worth your time to check out. If you haven't seen it, Chris Rock's new special on Netflix, Selective Outrage. He responds to the Will Smith slap. All right. The Bears were graded, Bri, by the NFLPA. And they finished 13th among 32 teams in the NFL, which is, I'll give them, that's pretty solid, actually. I'll give them credit for that. You know, they're not in the bottom half. That is good. Although I will say, I think they do actually owe a large deal of credit to the fact that Ryan Pace actually, you know, renovated Hallis Hall because a lot of their good grades came from their brand new weight room and their training room and their locker room and their training staff up at Hallis Hall. Yeah, but the the bad news for them and this is a players poll and every players, you know, every team's players weigh in on their own organization. They got a D plus in food for lack of quality and healthiness. It's like the old joke where the food there that restaurant's terrible and the portions are so small. Yes. Um uh, and then they got a, a C minus in travel because they're one of seven teams that do not offer first class seating for throughout the plane for everyone. Mm-hmm. And last time I checked, NFL big bodies, right? Yep. Not exactly the Blackhawks not chartering all those years when Chris Chelios had to sit next to an insurance guy trying to sell him a life policy. But 
those are little things that you think with the amount of money that's minted for NFL teams, they would be easily correctable. And I don't know if they're paying attention, but you're chartering. I think you can go ahead and get a plane that installs first class seating throughout the entirety of the cabin for, for the players who need that extra room. Yeah, no doubt about it. The silver lining here is that maybe, just maybe, Kevin Warren, who for a long time was in charge of the Minnesota Vikings, well, even though he was over at the Big Ten uh, Conference as the uh, commissioner there for the last few years, the Vikings actually finished first um, amongst NFL teams. So maybe, just maybe, Kevin Warren can help the Bears instill some of what was going on there. All right, that's it for us, Bri. We'll do it again next week if that sounds good to you. Sounds great. Thanks, Jeff, for the uh, it's always enjoyable and I look forward to next week. Thank you to Brian Hanley. Thank you to Kendra Smith and thanks to Ben Pope as well. Keep it locked here. Uh, Tyler Aki and Shay Norling coming up with some NC college NCAA hoops action next.